Let us pray. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we read through Scripture, we can find there is an immediate disconnect from the world we are living in to the world in which the original words were written and spoken. The first letter of Peter is no exception. But with a little bit of work, we can lift the veil of time and context and find rich words, experiences, challenges, and inspiration for our time. We hear God's word more clearly. I must admit that the first two weeks on this letter, it was a little easier to lift the contextual veil than this week. I found there's been a little bit more wrestling involved, which perhaps has something to do with the way that I'm feeling at the moment. But living hope and living stones are such timeless, strong images. Today's text does seem somewhat more foreign at first read. As it's taken a little bit more wrestling for me, I would encourage you to continue to wrestle with some of what I say further, to read the passage again, to explore further what scholars and theologians write on this passage and understand the Greco-Roman worldview. To talk about it with others and explore the various reactions to it. These are heavy themes, and we are exploring this in heavy times. So be kind with yourselves and allow God to keep working on you after I I finish speaking. That way I'll feel better that I won't have to cram it all into a short-ish sermon. We live in a Western world where slavery has been abolished and is seen as abhorrent, where physical, sexual and emotional abuse, where that occurs, we are encouraged to name, shame and eradicate it. But I don't think we have to stretch our imagination too far to bring to mind a world in which this is commonplace. In fact, to assume that our Western world has eradicated all of these things and other forms of unjust suffering would just be naive. It was less than three years ago that the Me Too movement really gained momentum. To understand, emphasise and develop our ability to relate to what Peter writes today, it helps to understand the socio-political structure of household relationships in ancient Roman society. A large Roman household might comprise of parents and children, extended family members and other dependents, such as slaves, who engaged in household-related activities. Because the household involved a vast array of roles and activities to function, it was understood as a microcosm of the larger Roman society. Subordinates such as slaves, who threatened the stability of the Roman household, also threatened the stability of the Roman state. Christianity was such a threat. The response to any threat to the Roman state was brutal and reflected the default that had developed that Christians were persecuted by this unjust regime. Throughout the letter, Peter's main concern is not that believers appease those who mistreat and malign them, but they 
that believers actually live in a way fitting to the people of God while living among those who mistreat and malign them. The letter proposes a new household code which offers a realistic strategy for how Christians can honour their socially prescribed roles within this Greco-Roman household while finding a separate system of honour in the household of God. This letter does not excuse abuse. It does not justify persecution. And it does not absolve those who tolerate and predicate these unjust systems. What it does do is to reveal God at work in this type of world. When the world is closing in around you, when you feel victimised, harshly done by, and you don't understand why you are forced to endure pain and suffering, it can be difficult to identify God at work. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has had dark moments in recent times. 1 Peter seeks to respond to the dilemma of what to do if you find yourself living in the type of world that you don't want to live in. Can we not relate to this at the moment? The beginning of this letter that we read over over the last two weeks was a bit like a pep talk, but now we're getting down to doing the hard work. Abstain from desires of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Conduct yourselves honourably amongst the Gentiles so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honourable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. How we carry ourselves and how we behave matters. Yes, we are and can be forgiven, but we are God's children chosen and called. We find ourselves in challenging times, yes, but to move forward, we must ask, What are our priorities? How are we going to behave and how do we live in this new world? Is this all starting to sound more and more relatable? I hope so. The people of God have often been under the rule of a foreign power and they haven't always handled this well. Take a wander through the Old Testament. The Jewish term for this is diaspora, the dispersed. Peter is writing at the beginning of the Christian diaspora. And perhaps we are reading it in the latest form of diaspora. We've all been radically dispersed away from our church buildings, our workplaces, leisure activities and support networks and confined to our households. Do we let ourselves go and watch Netflix and comfort eat? Or is there another way? In the ancient world, the only thing that held you back from fleshy desires was money and fear. You could eat all the food you want until your money ran out. You could be as immoral as you wanted until you got caught by a jealous partner or your own. I wonder if the world we live in the one that we've created for ourselves that I spoke of last week, isn't similarly dominated by money and fear. Surely there is a better way, holier way, more sustainable way, and a more 
godly way. So let's stay with Peter and see where he leads us. Straight into verse 17. Honour everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. Easy, right? Not so much. This stuff is hard. Loving your family is hard, especially when you've been around your family so much that everyone is getting on each other's nerves. Fearing God is hard, especially when you've been crying out, Why God? Honouring the emperor is hard, especially when the government doesn't seem to be making the right decisions. 1 Peter says that we are God's temple, dispersed among the nations, and in our case, dispersed into our households. What does God's temple look like at the moment? Is there work to be done? Do we let this letter work on us some more? One of the reasons the early church spread was that people gradually saw that this was a new and different way of life, which nobody had ever imagined could make such an impact, both personally and culturally. It causes me to ask the question, are we really living that differently to what I described last week as secular salvation? where we seek after wants, and when we don't get what we want, we get outraged. Doesn't the church have the reputation for its holier-than-thou outrage? Proclaiming the gospel is often seen as an aggressive act, which has been responded to by our culture in a way that encourages us to keep our religion to ourselves. But Peter is reminding us that proclaiming the gospel is rarely aggressive. Yes, there will be a time to stand up and turn tables. But Jesus only did that once in his whole ministry. There will be times when we call out the scribes, the Pharisees and the hypocrites. But Jesus spent most of his time building relationships, meeting needs, healing, helping others to recognise God at work, helping us to see that we need to put God first, then others. How many times did Jesus say, the first will be last and the last will be first? Lots. One of my favourite grounding verses in the Bible is John the Baptist saying of Jesus, He must increase, but I must decrease. Learning to live out our faith begins with humility. This type of faith, our culture will not want for us to keep only to ourselves. Our culture is crying out for this faith. Oppressive tyranny and violent revolution are not the only options. Serving God by living peaceful, wise, visibly good lives is in the end far more revolutionary than simply overthrowing one corrupt regime for another, as history tells us is the usual pattern. This is not easy. To live this way will leave us vulnerable and we will likely suffer. It does not mean 
that when we have a voice against injustice, we cannot use it. Respect and honour does not mean that we always have to agree. I do think that at the heart of it, our fundamental issue with authority is that we don't like the idea that someone else might know more than we do. For Peter, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the central thing from which everything else revolves. What would it mean for our lives to remove ourselves from being the centre and replace it with Jesus? I wonder if we would be less outraged. I wonder if we would be more tolerant. I wonder if we would be more discerning and wise. I wonder if we would seek to end an argument rather than to agitate for one. I wonder if we would find ourselves standing up less often in protest, that when we do, our words would carry more weight because what we say is God and others focused rather than turning the spotlight on ourselves. Mahatma Gandhi famously said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I wonder if we looked much more like our Christ, if our world would be much more interested in hearing what we had to say by noticing how we lived. I pray that we can develop this godly attitude in these times. May our discomfort, our displacement and our suffering be used to turn us back towards the way we should have always been going. Amen.